It's spring and the lockdown is easing and we've come to Sheffield so my heart has leapt because I'm back in my old city, the city where I was born and brought up and we've come to the suburb of Crooks up one of the seven hills of Sheffield and we're in a, a street of terraced houses and we're here to meet one of the most impassioned and original musicians I've heard for many a long year. Sometimes you hear an album and it just leaps out of the speakers and hits you between the ears. And that's what happened to me with In the Furrows of Commonplace by Jim Geddy, a young lad from Sheffield who is imbued with landscape, imbued with a sense of place and a sense of the people and the community where he was born and grew up. And he's going to tell us about that on our walk today. Matthew. Back in the motherland. Yeah, exactly. How are we doing? Nice to see you. <laughs> oh, I love coming back here. I know, to be honest with you, I had that same feeling because I've not been back to this part for absolutely ages and I just got that kind of, ah, yeah. great. I've been pointing out everything to them on yeah, the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When, you, when you've left for a bit, you kind of... Got, uh, oh, look, there's oh, the that's Children's that Hospital. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Jim, where are we? We were outside my nan's old house, which I was born and lived my early childhood in. It's an old terrace house in Crooks, Mule House Road, a bit of a famous road. That's Tasker Road. Another famous musician was born on that. What famous musician? Um, one of the Cockers, what's his name? Joe Cocker. Joe Cocker. Joe Cocker, yeah. He was born, right. and he actually knew, he actually knew my nan and granddad. They used to see him causing trouble and stuff. He was a bit of a hellraiser by the sounds of it. <laughs> so was there any music in the house here? Oh, there was loads of music. I remember as a kid, just mad scenes going on because my granddad's parents were born in Ireland in Roscommon and he spent most of his childhood in Ireland in a tiny little place called Cluna Holly, which is right in the sticks. And so they were part of this Irish Catholic community that in Sheffield at the time was huge. There was a lot of Irish community centres and pubs that were owned by Irish people that came over, such as the Flynn's and, and Fagan's, particularly like Joey Fagan was, he used to be around here all the time, he knew my granddad very well, they kind of knew each other from school. So there was, there was always people in, and it was just such a strange atmosphere when I was growing up in the kitchen, because you just all these mad people, like nuns sat drinking tea with your nan, and the old boys, you know, singing songs in the lounge, drinking and thinking they're like Luke Kelly or something, you know. And there was just all these mad characters and music all the time. And, and, the and door, it was all Irish music, was it? Predominantly, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, the Dubliners was just a constant. The Dubliners was, was just an absolute constant. But then there was also this kind of weird mix of country and um, kind of rock coming through at that point, you know. It's always been imprinted in my memory, the back door always being open, because it's like a courtyard at the back. And so you share your, your courtyard with, with your neighbours and it was always just open, people coming around for cups of tea and stuff. Very fond memories, you know. Were your mum and dad not around? Uh, so I just grew up with my mum, so I was just a single mum. So like, me and my mum lived there for the first good chunk of my early childhood. We just right. spent it in my nan and granddad's and we were kind of in and out of there. Uh, as my mum moved around for work and jobs and stuff, we'd somehow come always back to there and so it was kind of a home. And did you start singing or playing from an early I, age? I mean, to be quite honest, I dismissed that whole thing. I went through the rebellious kind of kid thing where you're just like, it's, it's just what your mom and your grandparents listen to, so I'm not into that. Like, I'm not going to listen to that. And then it's kind of gone full circle. Because I dropped my shopping off with my nan and granddad now on Thursdays, and the other day he was telling me about a story he had in one of the boozers in the Grapes in Sheffield years ago when the Dubliners played. Him and a couple of the, the lads was like drinking late and, and I was just like gripped. And I was like, wow, this is the best thing I've ever heard. Like, tell me more, you know. Ronnie Drew, him and Ronnie Drew apparently had like a, 
an all-nighter. And he said, and my granddad was like, oh, wow, he was a lovely, he was a lovely guy, you know. It's not what you think he's going to be, he's, you know. And it's like suddenly, like, it's gone full circle. I just want more of those stories and I want, you know, more of those songs. And it definitely is now a part of something that I'm very attracted to. Uh, but, you know, early on I was not interested at all. So what kind of music did you get into first? I mean, such a wide, huge range of stuff. I was really into the rock kind of punk stuff as early teenage teenage years, really into bands which had kind of a bit more heaviness to them. But then I was really, throughout my teenage years, really into hip-hop, like rap, which you wouldn't think if you listen to any of my records. But I think growing up in a single-parent household and some of the narratives and some of the poetry and some of the social narratives that a lot of hip-hop that I was really attracted to at that age had a huge impact on me. It suddenly just like opened up a lot of things in terms of what you can do with music and what you can put across with music. And it still is, you know. That, storytelling. Yeah, storytelling. And and a lot of these things, they're, they're really mixed into each other. You know, like a good traditional folk is the same spark for me as well. That storytelling, that human experience, you know. What's the plan for this walk? Yeah. Where are we going to go? Well, I was thinking if we just basically walk on this road, we'll see the park at the top. That would be fantastic. And then we could make our way to the Moss Valley. I drove through and it was such a nice scene. It's bank holiday and all, everyone's out. So what does Sheffield mean to you? It's a city with a great history yeah. and a city with a great musical history too. Yeah, it's home, you know. I think with the background that I've got, I think it's been a bedrock really for developing, you know, as a person, as a musician, as someone who feels like the communities that I've come from have been very supportive. Um, like my family's history here as well and kind of working class background and creative communities which are also embedded in that and have come from that um, yeah it's it's home and it's it's a bugger to kind of get away from as well I've tried I tried my best when I was in my early 20s to try to get away and but somehow it always kind of pulls you back where did you go I went to Belgium of all places for, for quite a while lived in Europe I had some friends living out there and they just kind of invited me to come over and do a bit of traveling so i ended up going over and staying in a couple of kind of squat situations where i was sleeping on friends floors and touring a bit and traveling just using using that time just to try to do that because you kind of knew i wasn't going to be able to do it again lived in manchester for a while because everyone goes to manchester because it's supposed to be better and bigger and but you found out it wasn't. It wasn't, no, yeah. it's not as half as good as Sheffield in my, in my opinion. Oh, we're going past the Crook Social Club now, aren't we? Yeah. We're behind this hedge. Yeah. My nan and granddad still, well, before Covid, used to religiously go every Friday and Saturday night. What sort of uh, entertainment would you have there? Uh, it's pretty old school kind of entertainment, really. There's a couple of snooker tables and pool tables. and Bingo? Bingo, big bingo night. Uh, I think that's Saturday night. Bingo night. Am I right in thinking that Def Leppard once yeah. played there? <laughs> yeah, Did they? Yeah. yeah. I think what, early, right in days, the early days. I think it was like early days, yeah. They got about quite a lot. You know, they got, a, like, especially on the local scene, I think when they were starting out, they played everywhere, you know, from kind of old punk band boozers, pubs, and rock clubs, which was huge in Sheffield at the time. Like, 70s. The 70s kind of scene for that music was... I can remember it. Yeah, I know, yeah, well, you probably remember it better than me. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, that place is it's a bit of social history there, you know. That's as important to me as any other part of history in Sheffield, you know. I mean, my, my granddad's generation, you know, and my mum's generation, that has been a kind of community hub and supported so many people over the years. The kind of development that's been going off in Sheffield, just to see these kind of spots still hanging on, it just makes them even more important, you know, amongst the developments, amongst the kind of character of old buildings and old bits of history kind of getting torn down. And now we're at Stannington View Road because there's a great view, isn't there? Yeah, there's a great view here. Yeah, well, let's just go to yeah. the end here. Um, 
Oh, look at this. Yeah. A, just This is what happens in this yeah. city all the time, isn't it? Yeah. You come round a corner yeah. and you can see for miles and the, you can yeah. see the yeah, city yeah. spread out below you, yeah. but you can see green space as well. Yeah. Yeah, this is this kind of epitomises Sheffield as well. My granddad always used to say, like, there's always a view around the corner, you know. No matter what street you're on, if you just go around the corner, there's always a view, you know. And I think that really sums it up. Oh, this is a hell of a view, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, where are we looking at now? Where, where can so we, we see? So we're looking on Stannington over there. There's a council estate. This this kind of mix, I love this kind of mix. It's very much embedded in my own music is this kind of connection to people and nature. Because then to the left of it, you've got the opening of the Peak District and Riverland Valley at the bottom of it, a huge nature reserve where the old industries used to be, which is now just full of wildlife and and nature and stuff and and if you keep going out you're right into the heart of the Peak District and Bradfield's over the hill over there on the other side. So Jim, who have you brought to meet us now? He's picked up a couple of scallywags who were lurking <laughs> on the back streets uh, Sheffield. There's DBH, who's an amazing fiddle player, guitarist. He's basically just an undermining genius of all things. And then we've got double bass extraordinaire, Neil Heppleston. Have you okay, got the double yeah. bass in that car? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's all, it all crams in there. Really? Yeah. yeah. It's not a very big car. I used to be able to get it in the Ford Ka as well, with, <laughs> with amps with and, and. It's not and a folding a double bass. No, no, full full size thing. Yeah, it's oh, quite brilliant. amazing. You brought the bass with you. Yeah, yeah. And have you brought some instruments as well? Got the fiddle, yeah, with the string section, basically. Yeah. <laughs> do you think we could do a song here outside? Love to. Yeah. Would you mind? You yeah. Feel, yeah. Just a note. I reckon that would be nice to do. It's a song. Just a note which is um, it's a traditional song which I got from a recording of uh, Lyle Waterson. Loads of other people have done it, but just that version really, like, wow, just blew me away. Huge fan of Lyle, you know, like, she's just amazing. So, yeah, we'll give it a go. Just a note for time, shorty And long day but I'm thinking of you, maybe Though you're many to my heel away Kiss the children for me, maybe Do not let them pine or grieve Tell them that I'm working for them To a home I to leave Building dams and fields and factories Shifting mountains by the road very much you've got an audience now yeah, they're clapping yeah. you <laughs> and this access to green space mm -hmm. from working areas working class areas mm -hmm. is very typical of the area isn't it and it's more and more important i suppose in lockdown it's been really important yeah ex extremely yeah i think with this time i think people's connections and especially i think it's not really talked about a lot it's nature and countryside is i think in in my lifetime i've kind of associated with kind of privilege you know those who have it 
they've you know they've earned a lot of money either they've bought land or they've been fortunate enough to be living in the center of countryside and i think especially growing up i never thought nature and the natural side of land has been accessible for someone who might be from a working class or built up community and i think during this time i think sheffield's a great example where those things can sit next to each other you know they're not excluded they're there they're there for these communities and they're and they're extremely important for people's well-being i always think of the film kez yeah when i'm when i'm here because (laughs) you know there's that you know he's living in the 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 working estate you know but then he finds a space where he can fly a kestrel yeah you know the lad can fly a kestrel that was like a big film in the house a lot i remember seeing that as a kid and just you know mind being blown and also just the ridiculousness of that PE teacher and I just remember having Brian te- Glover yeah, yeah I remember having teachers like that I mean it just everything about it just it just really it was like home you know it's so much I could connect with that sense of growing up and things being a bit hard being a bit penned in and also having these eccentric characters who are telling you what to do and how to do it and you know it's all you know it's all bullshit you know you know it's all a game and you know these people know it is a game and just, I love, I love that film. And just, yeah, like you said, making a space for yourself. I think that's what that film does, that story does so well, you know. Connecting to something deeper, you know, connecting to nature, connecting to something on your doorstep and finding that space and, and, and owning it. For, for. And just seeing the, the backs of the terraced houses here with the washing hanging out. Yeah. They're right next to this sloping green space which goes down... But yet you yeah. can see the serried ranks of the housing estates down below as well. It's, the, yeah. it's yeah. those contrasts that, yeah. that make it so special. Yeah, and just people around as well, you know. I've been hearing these arguments and sentiments of people being annoyed with people being out and about. And again, it's, I'm not very comfortable with it because, again, it comes from an exclusion. It comes from, like, people's ideals of what the countryside is. And it is for people, you know, and people should be in it because if they're not, then it's it's not going to be there. If it's not used, if these people aren't connected to it, then then it will go. You know. I just want to set the scene here a bit, Jim, because we've come out of the city now. Yeah. Where, where are we exactly? Um, so we're just on the borders of northeast Derbyshire, um, just at the front of the Moss Valley. So we're a bridal way away from getting into the Moss Valley, which is a, a valley that covers areas of Sheffield, but also villages like this and towns on the northeast Derbyshire border. There's a lovely little village here with a farm shop and a honey shop, yeah. I noticed down there, which is open, yeah. and a pub which is closed at the moment. And uh, the exciting thing is that the instruments have come out. Now you've got the guitar, and Neil's carrying the double bass up the hill here. <laughs> he doesn't. Look, he looks happy actually. He looks quite cheerful. He's only started, so he might change his uh, mood. We're quickly. going down a very narrow uh, bridal way. Yeah, you're right to get the, yeah. the bass down there. Yeah. I reckon so. Yeah. It wasn't traditionally built for double bass carrying, <laughs> funnily enough. <laughs> All right, well, let's get down this bridle way and then we can stop and have some music. Well, on this podcast, I've carried a harp wow. on the Isle of Skye yeah. down the fairy pools, which is down a really steep incline. And that wasn't well, a huge harp, uh-huh. but nonetheless very heavy. It's, yeah, um, it's still harp. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so now we've got a double bass, we've t- which we've taken over as style, which is Easy. impressive. Even broke a sweat. <laughs> <laughs> and what a great spot this is, because we're now once again opening up into the view, looking down into the valley, over the sloping green grass and the t- trees in the foreground. And you can't even see... Well, you can just see the city kind of edging its way over the hill over there. There's an estate of houses and there's a couple of blocks of flats on the horizon. 
but the rest of the landscape is just fields and trees and yet you're so close aren't you here yeah yeah you can see a couple of council estates just in the back where Sheffield just opens up and then part of Norton the kind of wood seats area of Sheffield where it, just in the distance you know it's just creeping around the corner do you come out here a lot all the time yeah since I've come back home in December I've just been walking most days just uh, this is one of the spots that I kind of park up on there and just you know just have a little wander around and it's just amazing the, the amount of public footpaths and stuff that you can you can get on is just it's such a it's such a luxury you know to have this great smell as well of uh, manure yeah good smell yeah that clears your the sinuses doesn't yeah. it yeah yeah good smell <laughs> of shit is always yeah. <laughs> you know you're in the countryside as my mother yeah. used to say yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a country smell isn't that some buzzards yeah oh yeah yeah just hanging in the air there yeah get a lot of buzzards around here there's a, there's a local guy who used to call it buzzards garden because they just somehow came here in the 70s and they just they just hatched loads you know and just there's another one just in the distance as well. Stone and ground and poverty Heave of this land for me We are torn by scavengers Impoverished by eternities On the Drunken fathers in drunken dreams As I awoke on the morning sun On hills that I was born upon Past a child with hopeless gun
Thank you. Right. So tell us a bit about that song, Jim. What's all that about? It's called Stolen Ground and um, it's a kind of mixture of watching someone have a mental breakdown, someone who was close to me at the time. And um, they, got a, they got a section, they had a mental breakdown for various reasons, but it was also kind of mixed in with external factors of society with some problems that that individual was going through in my opinion, around austerity measures and the impact of environmental issues and things that were around that person. And I didn't really realise what the song was about until when we rehearsed it yesterday. It was really funny. It's, it's, it's a song that I've kind of I wrote from observations, I suppose, politically and socially. But then when we played it yesterday after you know so many t like two years maybe of, of after writing it it actually hit me what it was actually about and it was directly influenced by someone close to me at the time who had a mental breakdown and, and so you weren't conscious of that no when you were writing it no what did you consciously think you were doing i, I don't know really it just happened it just kind of just happened sometimes songs work like that i find they just kind of happen and then you don't really figure what they're about until sometime down the line and it happened yesterday. It, it was it was only after I got home and I was kind of thinking, and I was, wow, yeah, that's about that. So, Jim, we, we sort of left off talking earlier about your musical journey before you got into folk music. So tell us how mm -hmm. you got into folk music again yeah. for the second time round. I'd love to be able to tell you a really cool story, but it's really not. It's a really cliché into Led Zeppelin when I was like 16, looked into what their influences was. I was a massive fan on the third album that they did because there was a lot of acoustic tracks on it. Them started to find Pentangle and various other kind of folk revival stuff. And then that was it, I was in, you know, I was into the kind of networks of traditional folk and started to plow my way through different parts of it and then before that, I was always drawn to acoustic music. I had a load of CDs always being sent to me from my auntie. She always used to send me these like secondhand Oxfam CDs and there was always these blues albums and Howlin' Wolf and John Lee Hooker and a huge traditional folk repertoire that she used to send me. And I didn't really know who these people were at the time, but then my ear was more tuned into kind of the more acoustic stuff and I just found it more comfortable for me. And then I think as soon as I saw that it was actually cool through the eyes of like a band like Led Zeppelin when I was like 15, I think that was it. I was like, okay, yeah, I'm into this, you know. And Bert Jansch was a really important figure and a musician for me at that time. I was playing fingerstyle naturally. I didn't, I never played with a pick. So when I was learning guitar, it was with my fingers and started to learn about open tunings and Bert Jansch and that, that was kind of a really pivotal moment in terms of me playing the guitar in that way. And were you trying to imitate him at first and then trying yeah. to develop your own style after yeah. that? Yeah, of course. Yeah, that was like, just ripped him off. You know, like David Graham and that whole yeah. revival kind of thing. I just loved it and as close to it as I could get at that point when I was like 15, 16 was like, 
yeah, I was just trying to rip it off, really, you know. But then, you know, as that went on, you, you kind of start to push that out and try to find something yourself. And I hope I'm constantly trying to strive for just doing something that's original. I'm trying to find my own take on it, even though there's influences like that throughout the years. They're not as important necessarily now as, as they were, if you know what I mean. Well, no, because it's very much your own sound now. And, and, and part of that for me is not just the instrumentation, but also your voice. Yeah. And how did you develop your singing style? Because it's very unique. Probably, yeah, when I was getting really into traditional singers, the Watersons, Mike Waterson, maybe even more specifically, was a huge influence. My ear was really attracted to these voices that like just banged out, you know, really just took a room. Voices that just, no matter where you were, those voices just dominated everything. And I was really attracted to voices that did that. And I think Mike Waterson and Normal Waterson particularly had those kind of voices that just, they grabbed the attention, they dominated the room immediately. Yeah. And they didn't need to try, it was just their kind of voice, their character. And I was also attracted to kind of singers like Jeannie Robertson and the real characters of it, you know, there's a singer in Ireland, Rosie Stewart, who's another one, and Paddy Tunney and Peter Bellamy, these kind of voices that are really odd and really characteristic. There's something very unique, but something that's very dominating about them. And I was like, I think that that had a huge impact on me with the influence of using my voice. So you've got that voice, but actually the previous album that you made was a much more instrumental album, wasn't it? Much yeah. more about instrumental music that related to the landscape. Yeah. I was out on tour with my friend Toby Hayes, a guitarist in Wales. And we were just booking gigs. Anyone who would give us a gig, we'd play, you know. And during that time, I was just going around all these areas with different landscapes, and it just filtered into me and inspired me to try to write stuff to do with those places. Just coming through a wood now, and that's uh, a lovely stream, it's a lovely setting, isn't it? Yeah. I wonder how you set about conjuring up a landscape in an instrumental piece is something I associate with classical music but mm. you can sometimes hear a piece of classical music that makes it sound like the sea or a moorland landscape or something mm -hmm. how do you do that when you're trying to convey the landscape through your your playing yeah there's a lot in that you know I think in terms of musically sitting down and thinking in an open way I just was fixated on harmonics with string instruments particularly there was something that was very earthy very open with that and just arranging things modally more so like modal scales was definitely lending its hand to more of an expansive sound. So that's kind of technically what I was having in mind. But then with those different landscapes, there was a song on the last album, which was called Fortingal U, which was about a, an old tree in Scotland. And that one, there was a 12 string and I was trying to think of neither a minor, neither a major scale, but somehow kind of sitting between them and sometimes leaning into either one of them almost be something timeless you know in the sense of the age of something the age of place going through different time scales and timelines and even the mundane places even the things that weren't necessarily grandeur almost making making more of something even if it was a simple melody it's like the simplicity of maybe going on a walk or the simplicity of seeing a place but then holding that up is something that's quite big and almost orchestral. I was very interested in that as well. And like you've seen this area particularly, it's not, it isn't the Peak District, it isn't huge national park grandeur, but there's charm and there's things that if you pay attention, if you just be silent and still yourself, you can notice things, you know, like the birds above us now and the stream and there's, there's sounds, there's things which can be orchestral within the really finer details mm. and trying to somehow compose something that sounds big because it is big i think people mistake silence or like stillness as something that's not a lot going on but often i find that it's the opposite i think when you actually find that stillness it's there's so much within that you can listen to just listening now actually there's there's a lot going on around us, isn't there? Mm. As you say, the bird song and the and this little stream going mm. past us. 
and the aeroplane. <laughs> yes, there's always, an, there's airplane. always an airplane. <laughs> you can't get away. But I like that as well. Yeah. Because I hate over romanticising about things. I don't like that. Yeah. I like when things like that happen, or someone makes a noise, or there's a siren. I enjoy that because that's what makes it even better. That what makes you listening and understanding your environment better. Contrast. Yeah. Yeah. And undercutting it a bit and saying, well, hang on a minute, you're only just down the road from Sheffield. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. There's a housing estate just exactly. over there. Exactly. They're not lovely shepherds wandering about no. here, are they? No, there's real people. Yeah. There's real community in the modern age, and I quite enjoy the, the blend. This time of year, the lapwings, they come every like once every year around this time and they lay their eggs. They're one of the only birds that lay eggs on the ground. And that field, there's normally this time of year loads. I haven't heard many on that field yet, but they sound like little aliens. They're really funny. I was once walking home from a pub not far from here on the other side with a friend and we were absolutely smashed out of our heads. And we were walking past the field and I was like, hear that? There's there's aliens. I was convinced they were aliens, you know. And well, can was, you imitate the sound for us? No. I just, there's no, I, I don't think any human voice could. There's such a strange bird. They're really odd sounding, right. but they're amazing. Yeah. The reason why they call them lapwings is when they're in flight, they drop, they drop their wings. And you can see the wings just kind of lapping down, you mm. know. 
because they go to their young, they constantly go to the ground. It's a great area, this, to be thinking about roaming and walking because there were some historic protests, weren't there, in this region of people reclaiming the land. Mm-hmm. Um, thinking about the Kinder Scout mm-hmm. trespass mm. in the 1930s. Yeah, GHB Ward, who was part of a group called Clarion Ramblers who were based in Sheffield at the time. And him and a guy from Manchester, Benny Rothman, they were the kind of figureheads of the kinder mass trespass over in the peaks in Edo. And the interesting thing, he didn't just do that, he was doing surrounding areas of Sheffield. And this this is one of the areas that he did. What, in terms of reclaiming land for the public rights of way? Yeah, he was involved with socialist groups in Sheffield who was in the industry at the time. And he set off this walking group for the weekend where people who worked in factories who worked in some of the industrial jobs at the time had a group to go out and walk you know surrounding areas of nature around the city and in these old books that I've got because they used to write little tiny little pocket books and they used to publish these and they only did a few but they've published them again they've reprinted them and I managed to get a hold of them and um, they're amazing little things, handwritten maps that they were mapping out for people to go on a route and encouraging people to meet at certain pubs to go in mass. And he actually did one round here. And some of these paths that we're on now and around here, he mapped out in one of these maps because it was it was owned land by a lot of the farmers and stuff. So he was basically defying the landowners and saying, yeah. this is a right for the people to walk you can't close us out. Yeah, and some of those conversations was less aggressive and some were probably more aggressive. And like the Kinder, the Peak District side of it was more aggressive. And why did they decide to do that on Kinder Scout? What was it about Kinder Scout that made it the target? I think because it was such a landmark for a lot of close-by cities, so like Sheffield and Manchester particularly, it's right in the middle of it and it's an amazing spot. And it's actually one of the only mountains, you know, that we've got on this area of the country. So it's a huge landmark for walkers, you know, and and I think the dreariness of the week at work in these really hard industrial jobs, it was such a big thing, such a unique place as well, you know, to make sure that was public access. I watched the video that you did for the Beneath the Willow where you referenced a lot of the industrial past of Sheffield in particular and the history mm-hmm. why did you want to bring that back there's footage there from the Battle of Augury for example from the miners mm-hmm. strike why did you want to use those visual images with that song I had loads of ideas around trying to do a video like that for quite a while and I think I'm very interested and intrigued about the idea of history being linear and how things have knock-on effects for generations in front of them that you don't really realise going through political or social upheavals through time and I was very interested with a song like Beneath the Willow that was wrote through my personal perspective and characters that I've been around throughout my life which consequentially they were in a generation and in a time which has the effects of the past you know, 80s, my mum's gone through that. They used to see picket lines and huge picket line protests. That was around, you know, my family's history and the effects of neoliberalism and what the end of community meant for these people. They knew what it, they knew what it was gonna do. If you watch that Orgreave documentary, these are highly educated, you know, working class people who had socialist politics and they knew the effects of what that meant in terms of local community. And I've seen those effects. Playing out over playing many out years. in my lifetime. Yeah. And my mum's seen those effects in her lifetime. And I'm very keen of trying to kind of link, trying to show a lineage of history and how things trigger into things in front of it and how that has an effect on generations after it. You know, we're living through another historic moment and this is going to have repercussions. And I wonder if you're ambivalent about 
the loss of the steel industry and the mining industry. I, I, I've got into trouble. Somebody complained the other day that I keep saying yeah. the Sheffield had lost its steel industry when, of course, there is it's still a steel still there industry now. here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's not on the scale that it was in the 1970s, no. much diminished. Yeah. You know, so the, the, the diminution of the steel industry, the mining industry, obviously had a huge impact on the communities involved. Yeah. But on the other hand, yeah. the quality of life Positives. and the landscape... Yeah. Nature has come back yep. and, and things have, to a certain extent, improved. Yep. So this is the thing is, you know, these industries, such as the coal industry, we have to progress from the negative impacts of, of what that does on environment. And some of the, you know, some of the ex-miners were fully on board with that. And also, like, we can't romanticise what these jobs were. They're horrendous. You know, the industrial labour that, if you look back years and years before the 80s there were kids from school just went in because that was their best way of earning money that was yeah. their best steps for their life my so, granddad yeah. you know, worked as a, in the rolling mills in Sheffield right, and, you know right. he died young yeah, you know he, yeah, he, yeah. he didn't uh, he didn't last beyond his 40s it's a really complicated thing and we can't see it as a romanticized thing my point has always been the way that it ended was a political attack on working class people and and working class communities across the board, the way that it ended. And my problems with it was the wealth should have been redistributed to the people that have spent generations and generations who were exploited, you know, for their, their labour. The communities that they served, the money should have gone back into them. The wealth should have been redistributed in a way which it served those people. And the way that it ended with people being jailed for nothing, families jailed without any kind of redirection in terms of job prospects, what they're going to go into. Because you're taking away all they know. That's what they've been born into. That's what they've served. There has to be an alternative and there has to be a support mechanism that's in place. There wasn't any. When I was young and in me praying, here, here could you well, I was hewing all the time. No, me hewing days are two, two. No, me hewing days are two. I had to face the dusty fully. I here, here could you. Well, now that toast is killing me. No, me, you ain't is a No, me, you ain't is I've laid down flat and shoveled coal. Hey, here, hey, here, could you? Well, me eyes did smart in the dust field hole. Now me hewing is a thu, thu. Now me hewing is a thu. Well, I've known Maris and he were men. Hey, here, 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 could you? Well, they were men, and sons of men. Now me, you ain't is a thu, thu. Now me, you ain't is a thu. Well, soon that pit, they may well see. Hey, here, 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 could you? But I'll carry it around inside of me. Now me, you ain't is a thu, thu. Now me, you ain't is a thu. That sounded pretty good to me. Yeah, yeah. you're happy? Quite yeah. you got through that. Bit rough, but not played. We're not saying that. It's to be rough. Yeah, it is. It's, it's supposed to be. I wanted to just finally ask you about the recording of the album, because that wasn't a very 
straightforward thing, was it? You didn't go into a studio in Sheffield and do it. Where did you go? We went to probably the most remote, far out, slog of a drive place that we could have imagined. It was an island off St. Louis called Burnery. Off the coast of Scotland? Off the coast of Scotland, yeah. Why did you choose that place? Because I'm mad. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, it was a friend of mine, we were looking for a studio. I was like, I'm struggling, you know, I'm just, have you got any recommendations? And he said, Pete Fletcher's huge fan. He's got a studio out in Scotland. It's a hell of a drive, but he's your man. And we just clicked straight away. What did you think, Neil, when he suggested it to you? I wasn't that keen on it because I knew I'd have to drive for... It was basically a day or two, wasn't it, driving? Yeah, we stopped off in Glasgow. We stopped off on the way in Glasgow. And on the way back, I decided I could do it all in one go. So me and Dan (laughs) blitzed it for hours on end. I think you listened to every Black Sabbath album on the way back as well, didn't you, was it? We We tried to listen to really long songs try and make the journey seem shorter and it really worked <laughs> so like no songs under 20 minutes long you know some yes and a bit of yeah. funkadelic so 70s prog rock yeah, came into that. its own there a lot of that yeah. so what was the place like where you stayed up there the studio was an old fishing factory and so it was on the harbour looking on the Atlantic it's silent up there it's just completely silent it completely gave us a single focus there was no interference there was just we got up we ate breakfast we had coffee maybe had a walk outside and then just cracked on it was just magic you know terrific yeah what worth the drive (laughs) (laughs) i remember neil winging me on the way back and was like we're never doing that again (laughs) (laughs) and then like last year i was like i think we'll try to record the next one and like what do you think about going up there yeah that sounds great (laughs) (laughs) yeah bit of time gave me some perspective (laughs) well listen guys it's been fantastic to walk with you and talk with you today thank you very much indeed for sharing your songs and for sharing your stories with us thanks for making the effort to come on and lovely meeting you yeah it's really nice to see you in physical form (laughs) rather than down the zoom yeah yeah yeah, thanks for supporting the album and it means a lot you know i know everyone says it but it, it does mean a lot when someone thinks of it it's, and it's, puts it up it's on a fantastic platform, you know. yeah so well thanks for that we're delighted to do that Jim Geddy in Sheffield and the Moss Valley. Well, I have to tell you that we have filmed the songs that Jim has performed for us during our walk today, and we're going to add them to Folk on Foot on Film, which is our amazing archive of video footage that we've shot during all our walks. We've got more than 100 song films in the archive, plus all the sets from the four Folk on Foot festivals. And you can get access to all of that if you sign up to become a patron of Folk on Foot at folkonfoot.com forward slash watch. Uh, Just go to folkonfoot.com forward slash watch, sign up and you'll get access to that ever-growing archive, which is an amazing snapshot of UK contemporary folk music. We know you'll love it. And even if you don't sign up, there are over 60 episodes now of Folk on Foot for you to explore. So please delve around into our back catalogue and have fun. (laughs) 